This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Skull Splitter Dice. Head to SkullsplitterDice.com slash Tome Show to get a 15% off coupon. It's also supported by listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links and for becoming patrons at Patreon.com slash The Tome Show. Welcome to the Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Sarah Darkmagic, another royalty payment, Uh, Tracy Hurley, and in this episode, number 326, we're going to make some money, 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 as we start our own franchise by reviewing the Acquisitions Incorporated book. And joining us for this episode is a team of regulars. Joining us once again is the Tome Show monstrous ecologist, Jeremiah McCoy. Greetings and salutations. And also joining us is another one of our regulars, the Tome Show social media manager and uh, sometime DM Guild uh, 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 publisher or writer. Uh, I recently purchased a bunch of his Aurora's Guides books. Uh, Ishmael Alvarez. Hello. It's good to have you all back on. Sweet. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the Acquisitions Incorporated book, created in partnership with the folks from Penny Arcade. It's a D&D supplement centered around the concept stories and characters known as Acquisitions Incorporated, one of the early lifelay D&D events that started as a sort of celebrity D&D game at conventions, then online, and now is branched off into its own regular live game and spinoff known as The C-Team. They bring it all together with some of the D&D designers, and the Acquisitions Inc. D&D book was born. Before we get too far into that, however, let's mention our sponsor, Skull Splitter Dice. If you head to SkullsplitterDice.com slash Tomeshow, you will find a coupon code that will give you 15% off, and they'll know you came from us as well. They sent us some dice samples so we could talk about what it is they make, and Ishmael, I believe you got some dice from them, so what did you end up with? Yeah, so I ordered my first set of metal dice from them, and I couldn't be happier um, I've been envious of a number of my friends recently with their shiny metal dice, and uh, I finally got my first set, which is really cool to throw them across the table. They're they're very good quality. Um, the uh, D four is especially sharp. I keep it in its case so I don't I never accidentally step on it. <laughs> um, I also got a D one hundred, which um, I don't know mm. if any of you out here have had this experience. I could not find a D one hundred anywhere. But Skull Splitter Dice had D100s, and it's uh, very fine, very well balanced. It actually stops, so that's the best oh, part that's of nice. it. Oh, that's nice. How'd they and do that? You, yeah, for those of you who maybe don't know, instead of rolling like two 10-sided, it's actually a giant 100-sided dice. Uh, and it looks kind of like a golf ball, and it's one of my prized possessions now. Sweet. And what kind of uh, what, what kind of metal dice did you get? Um, I got one of their new ones. I, I want to say it was. Um, oh shoot! I wish I knew the, the name the, of it. The two new ones they have: uh, Lich's Kiss and Hope's Glimmer. It's Hope's Glimmer. Yes, thank you for the... reminding me of the name. But yeah, it's like my favorite uh, color because I've gotten like a lot of kind of evil colored dice, and that was like maybe one of a few dice sets that I have that's like a, a good aligned dice, which is <laughs> which kind of makes me happy. Yeah, that's the one that's kind of a dark, uh, shiny metal with uh, a sort of a, I don't know, it's kind of a um, aged gold sort of look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the, it's it, the same it, set it I got. Awesome. Yeah. It looks nice at the table, I'll have to say. Yeah, I enjoy mine as well. Look, mate, three generations ago, my ancestors forged the Great Blade Skull Splitter. With it, they won the Goblin Wars, the Hobgoblin Wars, the Orc Wars, the Demon Wars, the Elf Wars, and the Gelatinous Cube Wars. And that one doesn't even make sense, because they don't have skulls. Now, all these years later, the legend of the Great Skull Splitter grows. Offering dice to help you create your own legends, Skull Splitter Dice makes the highest quality dice beautiful dice of both plastic and metal. Want to roll bones that look like bones? or just something with enough heft to split the skulls of your enemies, Skull Splitter Dice has that and more. Check them out now at SkullsplitterDice.com slash Tomeshow and use the coupon code Tomeshow with all little letters and get 15% off. 
Now get out there, split some skulls, and build some legends. So now on to the review. First up, I want to uh, you know uh, review in full disclosure. I am working from a review copy of this book, uh, and I assume I'm probably the only one because they didn't send me two, so I didn't send one to Tracy. Yeah, no, I push some gold coins over a corner or a counter. <laughs> Very good. Uh, so let's start off before we get into the actual book, and let's all sort of explain our own personal history with Acquisitions Incorporated. Uh, uh, so Acquisitions Incorporated, like uh, Tracy mentioned before the ad, um, started off as sort of a live play celebrity game and then turned into an online thing for a while and then then live streaming and podcasts and then a split-off show, the C-Team. Um, and so it, it's sort of, you know, it was doing the D&D streaming thing almost before D&D streaming was much of a thing. Um, so it's been around a long time and it's still around and doing things. Uh, so what's everybody's sort of personal history or story with Acquisitions Incorporated? And let's start with Tracy. Oh, (laughs) do we have enough time in the podcast to talk about this? Uh, briefly. Okay. So Sarah Dark Magic is of the New Hampshire Dark Magics and it's because I started, uh, with the original podcast or original whatever i forget what they called it then Mm -hmm. uh where they released the live play episodes and that is what finally got me from switching over to not playing DD to playing DD, and thus my first character ever was sarah dark magic and so uh acquisitions incorporated is is uh pretty important to the gaming history of tracy hurley yes and the website sarahdarkmagic.com and the twitter and everything else right so do you, have you kept up with Acquisitions Incorporated since then? Um, I occasionally do. Um, with a toddler, it's a little hard to keep up with it, particularly given some of the humor. But mm-hmm. that doesn't, that's not necessarily bad about the humor. It just means I can't listen to it around him. Sure. So you've been, you've been pretty faithful up until a couple of years ago. Um, and yes. then it's been, it's been off and on. Yeah, and what's been really great is that they would do the shows at PAX East as well. Oh, so right I get on. to see some of it live. Right on. That's cool. Ishmael, what about you? What's your story with Acquisitions Incorporated? Uh, I mean, it, in, a, in a weird roundabout way, it goes back a little bit further. I remember starting reading Penny Arcade like way back in 2001. And so I've been a pretty big fan of theirs for a while. Uh, when they started kind of uh, that tipping point over towards role-playing games, I was over the moon because it was like the two of the best things that I, I, I had in my life, like kind of mixing together finally. Um, so I, I listened to that first uh, cluster of, um, I don't know if they were podcasts or if they were just releasing the audio on on the their website at that time. I think it was that primitive, um, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But um, I listened to that first set of games and they were really funny uh, and I think I was, um, I enjoyed it, but I also kind of wanted something more. I'm like, this is great. This is funny, but um, I kind of want more story. Uh, and so I did, I listened to that first group, grouping of them kind of didn't pay, pay attention uh, to it for a while and came back to it during the C team. Uh, and that kind of wet my uh, appetite for it mm-hmm. a little bit more, like they were a little bit more story oriented. Yeah, and if I recall, in those early days, they sort of launched a, a series of podcasts of them playing with uh, Chris Perkins as the DM, mostly as a way of like introducing people to Fourth Edition. Is, am I yes. remembering that right? That is absolutely correct. Yeah. And Chris Perkins is why I wanted to become a DM, but another day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jeremiah, what's your history with Acquisitions Incorporated? So I'm going to be the odd man out and say that I am not actually a big fan of Acquisitions Incorporated. Um, yeah, I know. I know. Uh, blasphemy and all that. But uh, so I want certain things in my games and a certain, not necessarily seriousness, but a, 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 a level of story that is more believable i guess where the humor comes from just dialogue again and 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 occasional ridiculous circumstances that come up and they are very heavy on the humor and so it wasn't really my bag 
I uh, I try, tried it out when it first launched, um, and I recognized that this was definitely a thing for somebody else. It just wasn't for me. And I checked in on it a couple of times since, you know, like, I need something on while I'm wor- working on something. I'll put it on on the background. I think I've listened to all of about three hours of all of Acquisitions Incorporated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've recognized that it's good uh, for the people who like the, the sort of entertainment they're providing. Um, but it is not my bag. It just wasn't your stick. Yeah, it was just like, these are very funny people doing very funny stuff. But it's not what I was looking for, so I, I, I real quickly kind of fell off. Okay. Yeah, my um, my story is not exactly that, but it's not as far off as it could be. So I got into it from the early days, um, and I kept up with it pretty pretty faithfully for a long time. And by pretty faithfully, I mean they had that original sort of introduction to fourth edition, and then once a year. There was the live show um, that they would then um, provide afterwards, you know, time shifted and whatever. Uh, and I kept up with all of those up till a certain point. And then I think it, what got in the way was grad school. And I kept up with a lot of stuff during grad school. But um, Acquisitions Incorporated was one of those things that was really easy to sort of let go. Right, because I think of the 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 lack of seriousness that Jeremiah mentioned. There's a, um, you know, I I I was entertained, but not necessarily invested, and so um, I have I I am not exposed to like I know enough about the the concept and the background and the history of it um, that I'm very well versed in in the things that are talk, being talked about here a lot of times. Uh, in this book, but, um, you know, I don't think I've ever seen or heard or whatever a single um, session from the C team. I'm aware of it. I'm aware that it's a thing. I'm aware that people like it, um, but I never ca- caught up with it at that point. So so that's where I'm at, too. But you are trying to be the Omen John of podcasts around D&D, right? Um, I mean, other than the, the money-making part of it, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> I would say that uh, he he would be failing if he were going for the profit motive. Here. <laughs> well, I'm, unlike some podcasters, I am not looking to make a day job of it. Right, I have a day job that I'm very happy with. Sure. So, well, and they always joke about making. I mean, they always talk about making money, but it's not sure it's really that they ever them. actually make money. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, to get us started, Tracy, why don't you tell us a little bit about what this book is then? Okay, so, uh, it feels like, if I recall correctly, I would classify it as two sections. The first one is more the, how would you create your own franchise within the Wondrous Acquisitions, Inc. company structure, and how you grow your small fledgling franchise into something much larger, if you so desire and then the second half's an adventure that you can do to get through the first few levels. I think it got up to level five uh, with the characters. Yeah, five or six maybe by the end, but yeah. Because they, they uh, I think there's, what, five chapters to the adventure? Five, oh, no, there's six episodes, and I think each time you, you level up, right? I think so. I just couldn't, I couldn't remember the exact number. Yeah. I'm not very good with numbers. I'm definitely not going to be the accountant. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's more or less what the book is. Uh, does anybody else have anything to add about what what the book is about? Um, um, go ahead. I was going to say that uh, the the book actually also is an excellent toolbox for telling a very different kind of D&D story. I was going to say, talk about that because I was looking for using it as a toolbox and I'm not sure that I ever found the ability to do so. So I want to hear what you have to say here. So, um, and I, I suppose this is sort of kind of digging into the review in, in, in some regards. Yeah. Uh, the, the premise here is that you're a member of this corporation, right? And uh, that the Acquisitions Incorporated and you're building a franchise and you're using that uh, corporate structure to 
to advance your 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 team and 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 your reputation and everything else. And it's got a lot of rules related to operating within that corporate structure. If that, you shave that that very specific corporate structure. Yes. Okay. If you shave off the serial numbers, if you change the names, this is an excellent model for doing uh, a similar concept with any kind of large scale organization that you're the local chapter for. Hmm. Is it though? Sure. You've got eh, I don't set, know about that. <laughs> set organizational roles. You've got uh, uh, prioritization for uh, you know getting uh, extra equipment for your facilities. You have a set structure for how to um, set your adventures to help build the reputation of that organization. Sure, profit is the uh, motivator for Acquisitions Inc., but you can change that pretty easily to to any number of things. Um, so yeah, I think it's uh, like. Say I wanted to do a multi-dimensional, you know, magical police force organization. Uh, I could use these rules and shave off the serial numbers and do it with this. I see. I don't know that I can um, because even if you take the serial numbers off, even if you file the names away. Uh, all those things that you talked about, the structure that they build into it is very much the silly acquisitions incorporated style things, right? Like you talked about how you've got organizational roles and I'm like, well, sure, but those roles are decisionist and documenter. Well, uh, those are know? the things you change the names on. So your uh, documenter is your, your, the, 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 the company's scribe or, uh, you know, the historian or what have you. Uh, you've got uh, your decisionist is uh, executive management, uh, or it could be the um, you know the, the the master of arms for the armed company that you're in, or it's whatever your management role is. You just change the name. And there's also that whole a- aspect too about um, how many empl- other sub employees are such that you get with uh, as you progress through your levels and gain rank or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. um in the world yeah well, yeah i'm still not so sure that it's as easy for me as changing the name because there's some fundamental things about each role because each role also gets uh benefits at certain levels or ranks or whatever um sure that, that still seem flavored enough that at the point that i start changing all of those things i'm basically building my own thing well I mean, yeah, it, it it is you you would some of these will require more relabeling than others. Right. But like the horde person, you don't you, you're obviously going to change the name of a horde person if you're going to do something more serious. Uh and you might change the name of what a deal, but you could uh change it to uh uh, you know, an appraisal skill, and suddenly this person is your uh, uh, your quartermaster. Sure. I mean, one, it, it's not that hard. Ishmael, what were we going to say? Yeah, one thing I was going to suggest is that a lot of it is kind of couched in setting, obviously, or, well, maybe not obviously, Acquisitions Incorporated is set in Faerun, uh, and so a lot now. of that is kind of like playing. <laughs> it hasn't, you're right. it hasn't right, always you're been, right. but yeah. Go ahead. Um, but uh, it's kind of playing against type in Faerun, and it was playing against type in, I don't know if it was in uh, Nentir Vale before, before mm-hmm. the edition or what have you. But for Eberron, it would actually work really well, and you huh. wouldn't have to change as much about it. And I know that because I'm right now implementing it for an Eberron game. Yeah, like I, can, I can see it for, a, for sort of a... a... It's almost uh, like the mockumentary version of a D&D game, right? <laughs> yeah, like the This Is Spinal Tap. Yeah. <laughs> Dragons, I could see that. So I'm totally going to run an Acquisitions Incorporated game, and we're just going to call it This Is D&D. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, the, another way to approach it is, 
embrace that corporate structure. Change the name still, but embrace the corporate so- structure, mm-hmm. but change the tone. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, I don't know if any of you watched the show uh, Angel. It was the spinoff mm-hmm. of Buffy. Mm-hmm. Yes. The last couple of seasons involved them actually being part of an evil multidimensional corporation called Wolfram and Hart. Uh, mm-hmm. That was its upper managements were run by devils, but it was completely done as a corporate structure top to bottom that crossed multiple dimensions. You could absolutely reskin this as something like that. And I could totally see d- devils uh, embracing the corporate structure because capitalism and, uh, <laughs> And, and and using it as a means of control, and you're trying to find the ways of being good guys inside that structure, but you're under contract to these guys, and suddenly you have a very different tone using the same structure. Yeah, see, I, I, I think that's a campaign I want to play, and I don't think I need this book to, to play it. <laughs> so I think we're in different places there. I just, I, I don't think I've seen as many books lay out exactly in as much detail as this one does, how you would go around doing the rival organizations, Mm. your own organization, have your organization grow, have an appropriate amount of influence change between levels and stuff like that. Yeah, and I I think there's elements of that that, where you're right. I think um, where... And and, and right now I'm coming off as the negative person of this book, and, and I'm really not. I just don't want to use it to play something else. I think it does what it does really well. And if you're looking to play that game, then then just own it and play that game is, is where I'm at with this book. Um, I don't think you're wrong in that it has some ideas in terms of how do you set these, the, uh, you know, a franchise or a branch or, or a subset of a thing up and how you can have rival organizations and all that kind of stuff. I think it does a nice job of discussing and laying out examples of that sort of thing. One of the questions I had for you the guys, though, um, dealt with some of the the setup it has for your franchise, right? So you start a franchise and there are, you know, things that you do as part of your being a franchise within the organization and there are benefits. Um, what's the what's the downside of being part of the franchise? What do you, what's the cost? Well, at any time you could be reanimated and be made to do menial tasks and be an intern forever. Uh-huh. Also, you have to give up a certain amount of, your take from doing adventures to the maintenance. Did I miss uh, that part? Yeah, it's in there. There's an upkeep charge and it depends on what type of hangout you decide to to requisition. Okay. Yeah. So, because it seems... It's a money sink. Sure. And because it seems to me in a lot of ways, there's a whole lot of bang for being part of Acquisitions Incorporated without a lot of, without a lot of cost to do so. Right. Because there are benefits for the franchise as it goes up, and as soon as you take your your role in the in the organization, then you're getting extra almost um, background or class benefits because they can get to be um, fairly extravagant as as you go up in, in franchise uh, ranks um, without any real sort of downside to doing so. Um, which works really well in sort of the over-the-top, crazy, zany kinds of stories that Acquisitions Incorporated is all about. But I don't, that's part of why I wonder how well it would translate, because you're just adding power to PCs with very little cost for doing so. You know, what I would say, the probably the biggest downside, if you even want to call it that, is that it's a whole lot of buy-in. Um, mm-hmm. It's the reason that a lot of like so-called murder hobo groups um don't have buy-in is that they never set down roots anywhere this is like the ultimate setting down of roots because no matter where you go your your corporation kind of goes with you and whatever their interests are uh, they, they become your interests too so instead of having to worry about like are the uh monsters going to come and burn down the town now you have to worry about all of the various investments and um assets that you probably have going and so if someone goes after little town a where you have a trading post well now all of a sudden you're just running over there or sending you know minions over there to make sure that there's something going on and so it's kind of this instant web of uh of buy-in that like if you're if you're running this game if you are the dungeon master for it 
you can instantly just tug on so many strings. And most most gaming groups, I I would be willing to say probably aren't willing to get that much buy-in from the start unless they know what they're in for. Well, and it's not just that buy-in because it is that buy-in, but it's also that buy-in. It's also the buy-in of a specific type of game that at one on one hand with those strings to be pulled takes itself fairly seriously and another hand um, <clears throat> doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be prepared to like if you've got somebody who balks at the idea of playing a Gamma World game, this probably isn't going to be their shtick because it's somewhere between D and D and Gamma World in my mind. I I think that that's uh, a product of the flavor rather than the structure. Okay. Uh, so yeah, like I said, going into this, I I have no attachment to the source material. Um. So when I was going at it, I was reading those things and I was like, well, you know, actually I could see the making a relatively serious game using these things. Sure. The names are a little wonky, but the rest of it, like some of this calls back to old school D and D like uh, getting hirelings and building a keep were big things in early D and D. And, this is really not unlike that. And, um, and just sorry. real quick, spoilers. There are even creature or NPCs in here that you may encounter that are way above your level. Sure. Mm-hmm. Which um, also is something that's, I mean, you get it a little bit in fifth, but like fourth kind of did away with. Right. Doing a lot of that. Um, yeah. And I, I think that, um, uh, the stuff that is not the adventure itself is of use to people who do not necessarily buy into the silly uh, is, is where I'm at on this. Yes. There's some silly stuff in the flavor text. uh, But if you just look at the structures and what it's doing, actually like I could run. I, a guy who does not actually do a lot of silly gaming, could find myself running this game, running the, the with the rules additions in this game. What it does do is make a game that you cannot cross over with something else. So, like, a standard Adventurers League style game, nobody's going to be able to take their characters from that and fit into this, and you can't take the characters from this and fit into that. Because you are getting extra lines of power mm-hmm. that are out of balance with the rest of the game. But if you're not doing that with this, this is a home game setup anyway. So, um, you know, they're not going to have a separate organized play for acquisition Inc. games. Right. Though there, there may be a possibility there that, that, that they might want to consider, but cause profit but uh (laughs) but yeah i mean uh that that is the 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 unbalancing part maybe is an issue but the structures no you don't have to be silly you you could play this straight and have a good time see i don't you and i are, are having very different reads on this book and that's fine i i think that our audience can appreciate that um I'm of the opinion that this book is designed at its core to do silly and it does it really well, whereas I would have to do a lot of work to make it do the other thing. And why? Like it does what it does really well. Use it for that. And if I want to do the other thing, do something else. It just seems it feels weird to me that I mean, I'm sorry. It just feels weird that you come across with it being just silly. Like I kind of get I kind of get where it is, but throughout the the so throughout Acquisitions Inc., there's been a lot of mixtures of feelings. I mean, we all know when Will Wheaton's character fell into the pit right. of acid that we never talk about again. Um. So we, we sorry. don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh. And even with it, there's a lot of silly, but I felt like there was still opportunities for there to be more than just silly in it. Like when we go to 
uh, I'm forgetting the name of the inn, but uh, oh, the drawn in courtier. You talking about in the adventure? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I've got a whole different set of opinions about the adventure, actually. <laughs> I'm just talking about the pre-adventure stuff right now. And and I think maybe I'm my vocabulary fails. Maybe uh, the over-the-top nature of of Acquisitions Incorporated is more, more of what I'm talking about than the silly. But I think it does it does what it does well. Um, and, and I don't feel the need to, to sort of reskin it and try to make it into something else. Uh, yeah, I, I think we're... Uh, definitely getting different reads off of it because yeah, I was expecting going in, expecting it silly because the times I've I've interacted with the game, the the streamed game, it's pretty silly. But if you review those stream games, what I remember of seeing them, and I actually watched about an hour of one today just to sort of refresh my memory. What the silly is coming from the players, as much as anything. It's not deliberately everything is ridiculous and silly. The players are being silly. The structure of the universe isn't. They're still playing in, in Faerun or well, Rav, yes. Ravnica or wherever they're at at the time. Uh, I think recently they're in Ravnica, which is why I say that. But um, they, uh, uh, but the, 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 the thing that, that brings out the silly is the players. And well, if you don't have players being silly, this book is just fine for them. They don't have to be silly to enjoy some of the stuff that's in here. Certainly, I think there's there's a degree to which the players could choose not to be silly. But, but I think it's still there's still an over the top nature to to what Acquisitions Incorporated has always sort of been about. That even comes out in the setting as well. You know, the, the it's not like the DM's not giving them giant. Uh, war balloons or giving them, you know, huge kaiju fighting stone mechs to march around from Waterdeep and that kind of stuff. Like, there's still the DM is presenting a setting that has a lot of over-the-top elements for them to play into um, in the in the story. And I think, uh, well, those things, for the most part, although some of them are in this book, uh, a lot of those things aren't necessarily in the book. It sort of captures that, uh, I think, over-the-top feel. And I think that's fine. I think that's a perfectly fun and ex- an exciting way to play the game. Um, so, but that's not necessarily silly. Just to be clear, like I would totally agree that it's over the top. Yes, probably. Yeah, that was my um, bad word choice. No, no, it's fine. And I also wonder if it's something that so it's a little bit. It felt a little bit more like four E in some ways. Not mm-hmm. not the imbalance part, but the fact that you got that sort of stuff, that sort of access that we weren't worried about house cats early on in your adventuring career. <laughs> right. Well, and there's even uh, points where, and we can continue to talk about the balance pieces, but eventually I want to switch over and talk about the adventure itself. Um, but there are there are uh, mechanical bits, like some of the, the new spells, which felt a li- like, like Jim's Magic Missile, which felt a little <laughs> bit like them wanting to have a version of dark, uh, of, of, uh, magic missile that felt more like what Jim was doing back in the fourth edition days. Yes, and I, I commented about that one on Twitter, and I do love the royalty mechanic around it because it is so <laughs> classic Jim Dark Magic to be able to somehow <laughs> get coin every time you use yeah. one of his patented spells or whatever word we want to use for it. <laughs> Which tell me that's not silly. Come on, <laughs> that's over the top capitalism to the point of silly. <laughs> or. Uh, it could, uh, or it can be uh, a further exploration of the notion of material components and ties to extraplanar sources. I mean, you could play that serious. Because I mean, I guess satire can be silly too. I'm not saying it's necessarily satirical, but it edges on that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other well, thoughts about the, the mechanical bits and, and the opening parts? It sounded like Ishmael had a thought. I, I was just going to add that, uh, you know, obviously they, they, what they brought to the table, no, no real pun intended, was um, a setting book that kind of de- delivered on flavor, very similar to the way that the, um, the Taldori campaign book did. Uh, and you're right, um, in that it is kind of aimed towards that and it's kind of leaning heavily into that. And so it's like, I could take the information from the Taldori source book and do something else with it, but it ultimately is aimed for that. 
I could take the stuff from Acquisitions Incorporated, but let's be honest, a lot of what's here is for people who just want to play Acquisitions Incorporated. Right. And one, one of the things I was going to say earlier is what what I hope to see is that with a lot of new players playing 5th edition, which is what we're, we're kind of seeing, uh, is that if nothing else, like we're maybe not the kind of audience where we're like, oh, this will give us ideas how on how to run a, a corporate game or whatever, because we kind of maybe have been through enough experiences where we could do that without this book. But maybe this could be for a bunch of new people to look at and explore different ways of playing Dungeons and Dragons uh, in a way maybe that they had never considered before. And I oh, think sure. that's what we're seeing a lot of right. with a lot of uh, uh, different books being released, not just Acquisitions Incorporated, not just the Teldori campaign. But um, figuring out how not just to do dungeon crawls, how not just to do hex crawls, how not just to do like your standard murder murder hobo campaigns and so on. And sorry, I've been bothering too long. Oh no, no, you're no, fine. No, no. I think I would compare it more to the Ravnica book than I would the Taldori book. I, I ripped a lot of things right out of Taldori and stuck it in my Forgotten Realms <laughs> campaign or my no my my uh, Apocalyptic Earth campaign uh, seamlessly without blinking an eye. Uh, but the Ravnica stuff, I have to do a little more effort to, to steal and, and transport because that's a specific style of game. That's the, a fair question. Um, there is uh, a couple of things mechanically, like <clears throat> they do have the breakdowns of classes, and that's mm-hmm. where you actually see a lot of the silly, where they add things like the uh, the 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 charts that you roll on mm-hmm. for the different classes to give you things. That is very silly. Um, but it's also and, super fun. But, oh yeah. It's super fun. <laughs> so. But, but that is where I would say, yes, you are correct. That is extra silly stuff, but uh, they do introduce a new race, which the race is perfectly reasonable. Um, they are the, the burden. Uh, they, have some useful abilities, but they're not overpowering. Yeah, I think I think generally speaking, like I my, my first take uh, looking through and, and then skimming through this book um, when it first came out was that the mechanical bits seemed um, imbalancing to me. Um, that is not my take anymore, having gone through it again in more depth for this. Uh, you know, so I think you're right. I think the the new race um, works well. Now, some of the um, the spells maybe not, aren't overpowered, but they are. Um, they they do sort of play into the silliness a little bit. I, I particularly am sure. thinking about Gift of Gab, um, which is described originally as the. Uh, I said what spell uh, of. Wait a minute! I said a thing here, quick that I shouldn't have said. Let me quickly cast this spell so that everybody forgets what I said for the last six seconds, um, which is clearly like a meta game spell, you know. Sure. So, is that uh, a Jim Dark Magic spell? Because it feels like something he needs a lot. Oh yeah, it well, is. <laughs> uh, I, I would say that it also uh, is something I could actually see existing without it being in this setting, just because. Uh, I think the the notion of having an ability that allows you to overcome your failings at roleplay is not out of the question. Like, I accidentally no. said the stupid thing while I'm roleplaying, and I want to take that back. Can I, I'm going to use this spell that allows me to take back that stupid thing. No, I, I no, and, and looking at it, and looking at the mechanics and the, and the explanation behind it, like it all, it all makes sense. But it's definitely a metagaming spell, like you know, sure. as, as opposed to just being like, oh shoot, I wasn't thinking. Hey DM, can I have not said that? Let's go back and do this again. Um, well, which, I'll, in and, many cases, a reasonable DM would do. And I guess that comes down to what you what you're looking for and what you think D and D is, because sure. I mean some. I mean, a lot of role-playing games have those sorts of things that are not necessarily metagame. It's just a different way of telling a story. And that's one of the things about the book is that it's much more about telling a story than it is about mechanics. That's true. So if you're looking for traditional D&D mechanics, you might not come up with, like, not, you might not feel like you're getting what you want from it. That's, yeah, absolutely. I will, I will add another thing with the all of the mechanics concerning uh, having a, 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 a franchise and how you advance it and stuff. 
it does have the extra side effect of investing you in the setting. Mm-hmm. Like, if wherever your franchise is set, if it's in Greyhawk, if, uh, it, you know, it's, say it's in Saltmarsh, or if it's in uh, Waterdeep, or if it's in wherever they happen to place your franchise, uh, and we'll get into some of that in the adventure, it does a better job of investing you in the place that you are franchise is placed than a lot of it published adventures that are set in those places. Hmm. How because so? Explain to, that. You, because you have to care about your sources of income. Mm-hmm. You are investing in this town. You are investing in locations. You're investing in building a location inside that town. You have to make those contacts with the merchants in town. You have to uh, care about what the politicians in the town care uh, want. If you're the standard, as people like to use the term murder hobo, if you're standard adventurers that just do nothing but go on adventures and don't have any roots, you don't have to care about those settings. You can do Ghosts of Saltmarsh and not care one whit about what's going on in Saltmarsh. But if you have a location there and you have you have to make contacts with the, the city and you have to uh, uh, make uh, contacts with the merchants in town. Because to you're, be you're running a small to, business there. Because you're running a small business there that you're... you're your success as an adventurer is directly tied to your relationships. You are more invested in that location. And sure. Actually, this may be a good time to talk about the adventure too, because one of the locations is Vandalen. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. And um, and one of the interesting things about the, how the adventure is written, and I know I'm just jumping right in, is that uh, it kind of tries to give this opportunity for a story, but doesn't always force you through it. So one mm. thing I will say is there's some railroading going on in this adventure, but we can talk about that later. Um, and so it uh, opens up this whole thing where the there's political changes going on in the town. You're given enough information that if you want, if you're, if you want to be involved in that somehow you could, or you could decide to just ignore it. And that's one of the things I liked about the adventure was it did provide a lot more of that meat and make you and mm. allow you to be more invested in the, Particularly where it's like basically a greatest uh, hits tour of part of uh, the Forgotten Realms. Right. You sort of hit a lot of the highlights of places that have shown up in different streams or different adventures. Or you know they they go to Fandolin, they go to Red Larch. There's Waterdeep. Um, you know they you hit a lot of the uh, is there yeah anyway yeah. And Fandolin even um, and I'm sure some of the other ones do, but I, this is the one I happen to remember the most. Um, References previous adventure in there. Uh-huh. I, I was actually interested. Is this the one of three adventures that sets itself in Vandalin? Yes. Yeah, I believe so at this point. There mm. might because be another the, one. But... There's the starter set, there's this, and then there's the essentials kit. Do mm-hmm. any of the. So Vandalin has gotten more adventure time than any <laughs> other location. Um, I don't know about that, because Waterdeep is in, I think, four adventures. Is it? Maybe. I know it's in two, but... Well, there's really, two There's two with Waterdeep in the name. Right, and, and they're they're sort of a single adventure, really, but... And, they, and, it, we'll, sh- we'll and, leave. It, and it shows up in Storm King's Thunder. I guess it does. And, and I, I mean, I, I think Storm King's Thunder shows up in Waterdeep. Does the adventure show up? Does the, the in adventure Water- go, go there? I don't remember now. And uh, but, yeah, I don't think it does. But, but I think they, uh, they mentioned Storm King's Thunder in one of the novels set there, but okay. that's that's different. Tyranny of Dragons does go there though. There's like a council there before the big fight. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, yeah, there's yeah. at least tie. <laughs> so. <laughs> But yes, I like I like Fandolin Fandolin gets a lot of um, Yeah. What were you saying, Ishmael? I was just gonna say I like Fandolin. I'm 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 happy that they decided to throw that in there. There's even a couple of maps in there where they go over some of the old locations like Tressendor Manor and whatnot. Yeah, Fandolin is is 
I mean, it started off, I think, in the in the starter set. It, it was a sort of perfect little, like... You know how they tell you to start a story in one little small location and then branch out into the rest of the world from there? Fandolin is, like, the perfect place to do that. And then it got well-known for it, and that opening adventure was actually really, really good. So I think a lot of people played it and, and went back to it over and over again. So I think it's a fairly well-known location for people uh, in the Forgotten Realms to the point that now it's... Uh, it's famous, you know, even though it's a it's a tiny little town. Yeah, absolutely. And and the, and this adventure, by the way, starts in Waterdeep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this adventure hops around all over the place in, in sort of this little section of the the Sword Coast and out into. The, does it get out into the Silver Marches? Yeah, it does. Or at least it, uh, it, at least it's on. The, yeah, because the Horn Enclave is out in the Silver Marches. Yeah, yeah, uh, and they've got uh, they've got Luskin, which mm-hmm. hasn't gotten a lot of traffic in the actual adventures before, so it's interesting to see that show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've got uh, Candlekeep gets mentioned, but I don't think they do anything with it beyond that. No, I agree. Uh, and uh, Neverwinter, mm-hmm. very important. Yeah. So, so the, it, it sort of does this tour of this whole region um, in a similar way to what Storm King's Thunder did. But in this case, I feel like it's doing so around a lot sort of tighter of a story. Does that make sense? You mean a railroad? <laughs> well, I wasn't going <laughs> to necessarily say that. But because um, railroad has a negative connotation to it, I don't know that it feels super railroady. To me, a little bit, because every now and then you just get a message from the the, the corporation saying, "Hey, go do this thing for us." Um, okay. And if you don't, then the, the adventure doesn't happen, right? So, are we allowed to do full spoilers? Uh, we are now. So, heads up to people listening: we're going to go full spoilery into this adventure. Sure. Okay, the one where they go. Uh, what's the name of the dwarven vaults? When they go to the vaults, there's the uh, whole part. Sorry. The horn. The horn uh, enclave? Yeah. Yeah. So in that adventure, you have this choice of, like, um, I forget what they they call it, but basically you go to, your body goes to sleep and you become part of one of the dwarven wedding party. Mm -hmm. You have the option of doing that. If you decide not to do that and still just go along with the wedding party, what ends up happening is it gets triggered anyway. Right. Of course it does. (laughs) And just things like that. There was a couple other things where it was like... You know, um, at a moment like that, what they should have done then is the way you get into the Enclave is on an actual railroad, just to make it a, a funny little <laughs> metaphor, you know? <laughs> and, and it's not quite railroading, but there... I mean, you have to go there anyway, because that's the only place you can get the thing you think you need to get. Right. Um, but And then there was another one where it was like, you, you learn about... The execution will be two days from whenever your characters learn... Um, that there's going to be an execution, which again isn't necessarily a railroad in full, but a lot of people, when they talk about these differences in adventures uh, between what they like and what they don't like, some people want the thing to be true regardless of what happens. And this goes back to a little bit to the conversation we were having earlier, where other people are okay with it being like the execution is always two days from whenever you first hear of it. Yeah, right. one approach is simulation, and one approach is narrative. Right, so that the narrative approach says, uh, once the players determine that this execution is going to happen, they they find out that it's within two days of when they found out. Right. The simulationist version is there's a set date, and if they dawdle and don't find out about it, oh well. Yep. Uh, and 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 that and that's a debate that goes on forever. So and and so this sure. is more of the um, what we're what you're describing. Uh, Jeremiah is the more narrative approach to a, to an adventure. Sure, and I'm I'm fine with that. I think uh, one other thing that so there is controversy uh, in the game writing uh, world about the use of box text. <laughs> oh my god! Because sh- some people like it and other people are wrong. <laughs> I see you are familiar with the controversy. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, our, our our friend of the 
the show and a general nice guy, James Intercasso, has mm -hmm. come strongly on the other side of that argument. <laughs> uh, he is going to hate this because this is the most box text I've seen in an adventure text. yet. No, it is, um, it is uh, very box texty. So that that's something should, people should be aware of if they if they are passionate in their hatred for box text, they're going to have to deal with it in this. Mm -hmm. Now that said, um, while I don't know that I have a lot of interest in incorporating the first seventy eight pages of this book into uh, a, a non acquisitions incorporated setting or game. Um, I re I'm really intrigued and interested in the adventure. It seems really fun. And that's the situation where, oh, this is the kind of game I'm going to play. So let's jump in with the Acquisitions Incorporated rules for that specific type of story and that specific type of setting and game. Because um, this adventure, I honestly, I really like uh, a lot of what this adventure is doing. And it's a little bit over the top, top but it's also like... It's all of the cameos and allusions to stuff for anybody who's been playing stuff in, in the realms lately. Um, uh, you know, it's got all, if you're an Acquisitions Incorporated fan, it's got all kinds of uh, allusions and cameos and whatever of those characters. Um, so this adventure, generally speaking, comes off as a lot of fun to me. I'm much more interested in running this adventure and doing Acquisitions Incorporated through that than I would be otherwise, I think. I would actually like to run this adventure. Mm -hmm. um, and that's with the added things at the beginning. Um, no, I would run I, this adventure with the added things. I just wouldn't run the added things anywhere else. Yeah, I, I think um, it depends on the players, right? Mm -hmm. For me, uh, if I'm playing with... Uh, my usual crowd of players, let's say, people like Brandis and Rabbit and some others that you don't know, but of a similar vein, I know that the level of silly that they're going to approach as players is not beyond what I'm comfortable with as in, for my enjoyment. So they're going to play it straight with occasional jokes. Sure. And I'm fine with putting in the occasional jokes in the adventure and the humorous asides, mm -hmm. but have the structure of the adventure is actually pretty straightforward. And I think the structure of the adventure is mostly pretty straightforward anyway. Right. I mean, there are some humorous asides. Sure. Um, there, you know, the fact that the team that's being sent, you guys, uh, are being sent by accident. You are not actually the team that was supposed to be sent something, with quotation marks, something... Mm -hmm happened to that other team and Omendron walks into a room thinks you're that team and sends you instead. Right. Um, but that's a, I mean you could run that, play that situation fairly straight and, and, and move on and I think players who are playing it fairly straight would have just as much fun with it. I mean, Omendron's a straight character in the he is. Podcast. He's, he's, <laughs> he's, the, he's the straight man of the group, right? Yes. <laughs> it's so. true. So, yeah, no, I think the adventure works really well. I think it brings the whole thing together for me. Um, I, I'm, I'm really intrigued by what they do here. Um, it, it's, it's kind of, in many ways, it's a cliche sort of classic storyline, but then adds in some interesting twists and then the acquisition incorporated element on there as well. Because it's, it's basically, hey, you found a piece of uh, a powerful and dangerous artifact and bad guys are also trying to get it. Go out and find all the other pieces and also go stop the bad guys. Oh no, twist, those aren't actually the bad guys. There's other secret bad guys that have manipulated you to thinking those are the bad guys. And... Uh, you know, big ritual at the end and stop it and get the last piece, right? And so in, in many ways, it sort of fits a D&D &D, um, archetype, um, but has these sort of interesting twists and turns and elements of, of over-the-topness to it that, yeah. I th that I think come off as fun. And I really enjoyed the adventure. And um, one of the things, too, I want to point out 
is it's weird because it's not necessarily a great adventure for beginner DMs, depending, mm. just because you have this, it depends on your group, really. If they're okay with it going sideways, then you should feel free to, as a new DM, definitely go out and go sideways with it. Um, and they, they do, do give a lot of advice for what to do when the inevitable happens. Like, what if it turns out your group does find a way to open the book that is unopenable without triggering the glyph oh they find this and now they're now they may be really worried um in this particular case it was diamonds and some of them aren't real so (laughs) they might be really worried when they turn it over how to explain that some of them are fakes uh and stuff like that which i think is really good insight for for folks who are trying to run the game Mm -hmm. i i do also like that it calls out the the times that it is following a trope oh yeah like The, the text of the adventure says, this is a standard D&D adventure trope, and this is where we're breaking from it. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that um, every now and then they're like, hey, if you want to do something like this, or there's a, a little uh, you know sidebar or whatever, hey, if this kind of thing happens and you need to deal with that, this, or whatever, um, they tend to... They tend to um, be very clear to like not bother to give you the sentence or two to explain it a little bit. They're just like, hey, yo, you should really read the DMG. There's a lot there that you didn't pay attention to because <laughs> it's all over there. Like they reference, hey, if, you wanna, if this happens, go check out this page of the DMG. If this is a thing, go read this section of the DMG. Like there's a lot of just, you know, the DMG's got a lot of stuff. You should actually read it. Yeah. And then the other thing I do like about uh, particularly the Fandalin adventure is that the one in the... Um, box set that first came out, the intro adventure, um, it w- w- did not necessarily have a diverse crew in town. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one feels really updated. It's diversified. Diversified and just more things that I personally would probably interact want to interact with more. Not saying that that old one was bad or anything, just not necessarily the type of thing that I'd love to see in my game. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've gone on for 56 minutes at this point. Uh, who's got some last thoughts on the Acquisitions Incorporated D&D book, module, thing? I don't know what to call it. It's half adventure, half not. Accessory, I guess, is what they call it in the back cover. <laughs> so I do want to go back to one point Ishmael made earlier, mm-hmm. which was um, – that potentially this book would be better set in Eberron, or at least it mm. would be interestingly set in Eberron. And I had the same thought in part because, particularly with Jim, the Jim Dark Magic character, there's always been this, well, there's a lot of cyberpunk, uh, not cyberpunk, uh, steampunk, particularly with the Modrons, which we hadn't talked about, but hint, Modrons. Um, and also just the general usage of magic all the time, which mm-hmm. is something, particularly in 4 was a lot easier for some stuff. Mm. Not um so just that comes out a lot more in this book too the more just you might have magic to just do things a mm-hmm. lot more uh, uh also they they're currently in ravnica the characters uh, in the in the in their storyline yeah yeah i was i the the i went on youtube and i was like all right let's put this on for a little while and see if i can catch up and see if things have changed and while I was watching it, apparently they had several adventures in Ravnica now. Mm-hmm. Ravnica and a corporate structure, not alien, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, the high magic stuff, very much part of Ravnica. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, sure, this would fit just fine. Yeah, if anything, I, it maybe fits better in Ravnica. Like, Eberron feels like a really good fit because Eberron has this sort of mercantile uh, bent to it that, that thematically Acquisitions Incorporated fits into well. It also has... Um, a lot of magic, which Tracy uh, alluded to as being something that was thematically um, attuned to what Acquisitions Incorporated has depicted in the past. But Eberron magic tends to be, um, they describe it as what, um, um, shallow but wide magic. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of magic, but not like earth-shattering magic. Whereas this is a, 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 at, it maxes out at a sixth-level adventure. That's about like world shaking, earth shattering, uh, artifact level magic, um, which would stand out as being really unique, especially at sixth level in Ebron. Um, you know, the idea of running into a lich who just put this artifact together and like, ah, eh, never mind, it was it was too dangerous and I broke it apart. 
Um, that's not a, the kind of story that typically happens in Eberron. Not that you couldn't do it, because I've definitely told those stories in Eberron, too. It's just not what Eberron was made to be. <laughs> so, Having actually run some published adventures from uh, Eberron back in the day, not that far off, actually. I mean, you like run into first, that every now and then, yeah. The, the first uh, uh, published adventure I ran was part of a first part in a th- three-parter, so it's all low-level stuff. Uh, involved a, 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 a giant cannon that fired liquid ga- uh, glass. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. uh, yeah, I mean it was it was a super weapon from the the the, the last war that happened to be in Seer, mm-hmm. and that's why it was lost. Um, but uh, so it's it's not unheard of. Well, but that's but a super weapon, a la you know something that might come out of a, a world war. Uh, sort of noir story is a little different than I I rent a hole into the fabric of reality, uh, which is what the threat is in in this adventure. Well, and uh, one thing that like w- one of my final thoughts, probably the final thought that I'm going to give is that the art, the art in this book is really interesting, and it's really good, and it's very diverse uh, from from what I, I could tell just in my cursory reading, but it's also very jarring and i don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing because obviously you have the style that kind of cleaves more towards the webcomic you also have some pieces that are very serious like there's there's uh, there's art pieces in there that are just played straight uh and the difference between them is huge and i think we see that too in the difference between kind of the structure of the corporate style of game versus the adventure which almost doesn't really seem to use it quite as much as you would think, given that the whole first half of the book was all about that. So there was kind of this weird topsy-turvy nature to the whole book where it was kind of like up and down all over the place. And that, I think that was intentional. Yeah. Well, and I like all of the art. I I noticed, I noted Mm -hmm. the, the, the swing in art that you mentioned. Uh, I, I didn't find it jarring at all. I thought in my mind, it, it flowed smoothly from one to the other, although it, I did note that it was dramatically different art styles. Yeah, maybe maybe jarring was the wrong wrong word, but like just it was uh, a roller coaster, if you will. Yeah, yeah. I, I think. I mean, we're talking about final thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I came at this expecting it to be super silly, and I might be able to pull a few gems out of it. That you know, here and there, and the rest would be completely forgettable. What I came away with is there's some interesting design spaces going on with how to structure campaigns uh, and, uh, that I think a lot of designers should look at and be like, oh, we don't have to limit ourselves in quite this particular way. We can do these other things. Um, and... I came away from it being more interested in running a game using this paradigm than I thought I would. Um, you know, given my interaction with the show, like I, I like I said, I wasn't a fan of the show, so I came at this and I was like, oh, "This is probably not going to be my thing." And I actually came away from it going, "Actually, this is pretty good. I I could easily see running this game." Kind of when we're talking about the design space, the tests in the inn, and particularly the one with the cat, I thought were awesome. Or at least imaginative. Yeah, in my mind, this is, uh, if I just take this book as uh, a really interesting uh, level one to six adventure with the the first part um, providing some interesting mechanics for for living in that world and that setting, um, it, it's easily worthy uh, of what it is. Um, and so I think it does what it does really well, and uh, I'm interested in using it for d- doing the thing that it's trying to do. So, um, yeah, we got a lot of really diverse levels of, of experience and different uh, interpretations and reads uh, in this book. That was This is uh, really interesting to have this conversation. Thanks for coming on, guys. For sure. So I think I'm going to go ahead and call this the end of the episode. We'd like to say thank you to Skull Splitter Dice 
uh, listeners who support our show using our affiliate links with Amazon and DMs Guild, as well as those who support us directly at patreon.com slash the Tome Show, like Jill Sanders, Jeremiah McCoy, and Doug Palmer. We'd also like to thank our guest, Jeremiah. Where can folks find you? Uh, well, I have the website jeremiahmccoy.com. I am on Twitter as Tech Noir. That's T E C H N O I R. And of course, I am a semi regular contributor to the Tome Show. You may have heard of it, um, small podcast, but, uh, <laughs> but it gets there, around. But there are those of us who love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Ishmael? Uh, yes, um, you can find me on Twitter under uh, Elven Wizard King. Um, I, I tend to be on there pretty regularly. Uh, I write books for Fat Goblin Games, so look for me on um, on Drive Through RPG under the name of Ismael Alvarez, which is a lot harder to spell than Elven Wizard King. Uh, <laughs> and I am, but it's um, but it's I, easier I, to spell than Lorathorn. That's very true. Um, I'm, I'm also uh, hopefully no longer an intern at the great uh, corporation that is the Tome Show. <laughs> That's and right. Their media. <laughs> Unless you die, then we can always raise you as an intern, right? Yes, there's always that possibility. Yeah. <laughs> Have to pay off the loan. That's right. That's right. All right. And if you want to email the show, you can email the Tome Show at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Squatch, S Q U A C H. Tracy is at Sarah Dark Magic. Interesting name. Uh, and, you can, and you can tweet the show. It is at The Tome Show. And that's episode 326, where we narrowly managed to avoid falling into the pit of acid that really had no place being in the foyer, Chris Perkins, RIP IFL, in this episode of. <laughs> I'm on the wall.